Shalom and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm your host, Chenny Reichman. And I am Alex Lederman. And this is my first time uh, on Israel Policy Pod, and I'm really excited to be here today uh, with Shani. So actually, is this your first time on any podcast ever? This is my first time on any podcast ever, so it's officially my podcast debut, and I'm really excited to, to be here with you today. Wow. So for those who don't know, Alex is actually our National Organizing Fellow at IPF Atid. We've been working together for almost a year now, but I met him in person for the first time, what was it? Last week, two weeks ago. Yeah, so very exciting to see that he's like a real human being, um, taller than expected, for those wondering. <laughs> So this week we're going to be talking about something that might not be on your radar, uh, rightfully so, because there's a whole lot going on in Israel that we've been discussing, of course, over all of our briefings and other podcasts. But uh, we thought maybe some of our listeners would be interested in hearing about it anyway, which is? It is the presidential elections in Israel, which are coming up on June 2nd. And as you guys know, there have been a lot of elections happening in Israel over the past three years. And this is actually going to be a different type of election than any of the other four elections that have happened since March 2019. And that is because Israel is going to be choosing its next president uh, next week. Before we jump into these presidential elections, I just want to give a, a quick recap uh, of uh, the past few months in Israeli politics. The last series of Knesset elections took place in March 2021, uh, with uh, various parties running as either pro or anti uh, Netanyahu. And uh, after the elections, neither blocs emerged with a clear path towards forming a coalition of a majority of at least 61 members of Knesset out of the 120. Uh, And that's because there were some parties that neglected to uh, commit to joining either bloc, uh, including Naftali Bennett's right-wing Yamina party and Mansour Abbas's uh, conservative Islamic Ram. But Netanyahu did receive the most endorsements out of uh, out of any candidate for the prime minister, so he was able to get the first crack at forming a government. Ultimately, to no one's surprise, he was unable to succeed, after which the mandate passed to Yair Lapid, uh, who is currently serving as the leader of the opposition and is the chair of the centrist Yesh Atid party. And uh, Lapid was actually on the verge of coaxing Naftali Bennett uh, into joining a government by offering the, him the first slot in a rotation agreement for the premiership. And this uh, coalition would have been a, a broad coalition, including left-wing and right-wing parties, uh, backed by the Arab parties, uh, really just united solely by their opposition to uh, to Bibi. These coalition negotiations were hampered by the recent escalation of violence in Gaza and Jerusalem. And now uh, Lapid's mandate expires on June 2nd, and it's appearing pretty unlikely. There's still a chance, but it's pretty unlikely that he will succeed. But uh, I suppose we won't know for certain until June 2nd rolls around. Israeli politics is known for its last-minute surprises, so uh, theoretically anything could happen. Uh, but uh, back to the presidential elections, fortunately for the Israeli voter who might be sick of having to schlep to the polls every few months. This election is also different because uh, the president of Israel is not elected by the popular vote, as are members of the Knesset and the prime minister, but it is elected by uh, the members of the Knesset. So for those who don't know what the president actually does, the Israeli president had a reputation of being this sort of symbolic figurehead who didn't really have a whole lot to do. And it's actually not until, let's say, the past two years when there were so many election cycles going on that I think it, uh, the president got onto the radar of a lot of American Jews and people really around the world, not just Israelis, because his main role really does have to do with the elections. Um, but there are some other sort of interesting 
procedural symbolic roles, uh, a lot of which don't have uh, necessarily a lot of real power. Uh, but, you know, the president is an influential figure. He sort of serves as the symbolic head of state in Israel. He doesn't have any executive power, um, unlike a lot of other parliamentary democracies uh, where the president and the prime minister have a significant role to play in the political processes in Israel. The the prime minister is undoubtedly the head of state, the one who who holds the real political influence. But that being said, the president does have some interesting powers uh, and that includes uh, being able to pardon people accused of crimes. Which is a really um, big deal, right? Which is especially relevant right now, given that Israel has a sitting prime minister who, you know, has been indicted for corruption uh, and is currently... Among other things. Among other things. <laughs> and is currently uh, going through um, a pretty long and drawn out uh, trial. And that's on the minds of a lot of the Israeli public, including the prime minister. And technically, um, Ruby Rivlin, who is who is the president of Israel, technically he could pardon the prime minister if he wanted to. He could also pardon members of Knesset or anyone else. And actually during um, during this sort of post-COVID era, he actually was known for pardoning a lot of people's debts that were associated with the government restrictions during the COVID era. He had a particular focus on, I think, single mothers and people with disabilities and trying to uh, remove their debts, uh, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, another fun fact, Rivlin actually rejected a request to pardon former Prime Minister Ehud Olmert. Um, and this was per the advice of the Justice Committee, uh, which I think really aligns with his usual stance, where he acts in accordance with the institutions is as opposed to political leadership. Rivlin has been really good at staying apolitical and not letting um, not letting his political leanings really influence what he does. So even though he's from the Likud party, which is Netanyahu's party, it doesn't really affect how he uh, behaves towards Netanyahu. He doesn't give him preferential treatment by any means. Exactly. And this is very much in line with how the founders uh, of Israel intended for the role of the president to be as sort of an apolitical figure who who stands above the fray of politics and serves as, a, as someone representing national unity. So Alex, what does the president do with regards to the election? Because we're now coming up potentially on our fifth election of the past two years. So what's the role that Rivlin plays? Yeah, that's a really good question. This is uh, this is essentially the, the president's uh, most significant role in the political process. And that is after uh, Israel goes to the polls, after the results come in uh, and a new Knesset is elected. Uh, as you guys know, Israel does not directly, or at least most often, does not directly elect a prime minister. So what happens after the Knesset is elected, the president consults with the members of each party to get their recommendations for who the leaders of each party would like to become prime minister. So for the parties in the in the anti-Netanyahu bloc, uh, in this past election, they recommended, many of them recommended Yair Lapid, who is the leader of the opposition and the head of the, the centrist Yesh Atid party. Parties, party leaders who were in the, the, the pro-Netanyahu bloc obviously recommended Benjamin Netanyahu for the position of, of prime minister. So after all of these consultations take place, it is the president's responsibility to hand the mandate to form the next government to uh, the party leader who the president believes has the best chance of forming a government. Uh, And it's important to note here that the president does have some leeway in handing the mandate to whomever he pleases, uh, given that he does have have to offer some sort of justification as to who that would be. He can't necessarily just hand it to any any random person. But technically, he has the flexibility to do that, right? As long as he can justify it. And I think legally, there's a little little bit of ambiguity regarding what what qualifies as a justification. 
he could potentially be flexible in who he chooses. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of flexibility there and, uh, you know, it's somewhat subjective. I mean, he could make an argument that, that someone has a good chance for forming a government. You know, as, as sort of a non-ideological figure, I mean, it's, it's been clear over the past few years that, uh, Rivlin, though he is from the same party as, as, uh, Bibi, he's no big fan of, uh, of Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, and despite that, you know, in, in the aftermath of the fourth elections that took place, uh, this, uh, this past March, he did actually hand the mandate to Bibi, uh, initially to form the next government because Bibi was the one who received the most endorsements. There were more parties who, who, uh, who recommended Bibi than anyone else. And, uh, you know, I guess Rivlin felt that he would be, uh, you know, neglecting his duty to hand it to, to someone else. Mm -hmm. And while this might seem like old news, Netanyahu actually did not really endorse Rivlin for the role of president back in 2014 until like the very, very last minute when all, almost all the other candidates had really dropped from the race already. So um, it was definitely not his first choice, perhaps because he knew that Rivlin would not be such an ideological figure. Um, at a time when there's a lot of polarization in Israeli politics, Rivlin is perceived to be a very moderate voice. He's really su been successful at maintaining this non-political, non-partisan perspective. He tries to like supersede political parties. Um, and while he may not be totally aligned with Israel policy forms, mission and values uh, in accordance with advancing a two-state solution, he does still support democracy and pluralism in Israel. He regularly and vehemently condemns racism against Arab citizens at a time when a lot of members in the Knesset, particularly on the right, um, say really horrible things about the Arab community and about Palestinians. But Rivlin has not just stayed above the fray, but I think set a really positive example for Israelis of what a pluralistic society can look like and should look like. And I think he's been really fantastic about that. Uh, just to go back and just give like a brief overview of a few of the other responsibilities that Rivlin or that any president would have. Um, he receives the credentials of foreign diplomats. He signs treaties. Um, and he is immune from criminal prosecution, which is interesting, too. Um, but again, a lot of those are pretty symbolic. So very, yeah, very much symbolic. He also signs every piece of legislation that the Knesset passes, except for ones having to deal with his own powers. But again, this is more, it's not, d don't think of it in terms of, of how it is in the U.S., where the president, you know, has the power to veto laws if he doesn't sign them. Uh, it's really more of a symbolic proceeding than anything else. So in terms of how the actual voting works... Unlike the voting for the prime minister, it is a secret ballot, which is interesting because it ends up not not having a lot of party endorsements for any particular candidate. Um, people vote for whoever they want. They don't have to think about, you know, who the head of their party tells them to vote for. However, leading up to the actual vote, um, you do need 10 endorsements for members of Knesset to run. But given that there are 120 members of Knesset, that's not really a big deal. You need at least 61 votes to actually win the presidential election. So if there are more than two candidates, you could theoretically end up with two rounds of voting. Um, but that's not going to happen this time because we only have two candidates. So, yeah. Alex, who are our two candidates? So our two candidates are uh, Yitzhak or Bougie Herzog, who is currently the chair of the Jewish a Agency, former chair of the Labor Party uh, in Israel. And uh, the other candidate is Miriam Peretz, who previously was not involved in Israeli politics, 
Uh, she ha- is somewhat of a public figure in Israel, former Israel Prize winner who rose to prominence for writing and speaking about uh, dealing with grief after losing two of her sons in conflict, one, I believe, in Gaza and the other in Lebanon. And she really is this uh, this figure who a lot of Israelis relate to and empathize with, someone who, uh, you know, who meets regularly with bereaving families uh, and is this sort of mother maternal figure. Uh, in Israeli society, um, and is uh, is really incredibly popular. If it was a popular vote, she'd win by a landslide. Yes, yes, the polls show that she'd win. Uh, whereas uh, Bougie Herzog is much more of a figure of the political establishment. Uh, although he is from labor historically, he has good relationships really with with members of the Knesset across the political spectrum, uh, including those on the right. We're not endorsing candidates here at Israel Policy Forum. We should note that. Uh, Bougie did play a role in the founding of our organization. And he is sort of, he's not just part of the political establishment in Israel. He's also, his family has a, a long history of being involved in the founding of the state. So he is the son of president of Israel, Chaim Herzog. He is the grandson of the chief rabbi of both Israel and Ireland. And he's the nephew of Abba Iban. So he really has like this family history of being involved in politics. And actually, his brother, General Michael Herzog, is a member of our partner organization, Commanders for Israel Security. Uh, so full disclosure, um, there are some connections there, but but we're not endorsing any presidential candidates in Israel. <laughs> One could even say that the Herzogs are the Kennedys of Israel. Uh, somewhat he may have. <laughs> <laughs> Prior to the May 19th deadline for uh, getting endorsements of 10 members of Knesset in order to become eligible to run for the presidency, there were a slew of other candidates uh, who had varying levels of traction, but none of whom were able to get that uh, that number of 10 MKs. And this includes Yehuda Glick, who was a former uh, member of Knesset for the Likud party, who announced his intention to run for president quite a while ago. Uh, and he's someone who's known for being an activist for uh, the rights of, of Jews to pray on the Temple Mount, uh, somewhat of a provocative uh, right-wing figure, American-born rabbi. Uh, and then we also have uh, uh, Michael Barzohar and Shimon Shitrit, both of whom are professors and former labor members of Knesset. Yosef uh, Abramowitz, who was endorsed by a slew of environmental groups and is known as a solar en- energy pioneer. Interestingly enough, we also uh, had Elham Chazen, who previously ran on the Kacholavan list and would have been the first Arab Israeli woman to run for president. And I think there were a few others. Uh, yeah. We had singer Yehoram Gaon and... Uh... And Amir Peretz, who I'm sure many of you remember, was the former labor leader and the current minister of the economy. But in the end, none of none of these people anticipated getting even ten endorsements. I guess so. no, they all they all withdrew even before the deadline. So uh, you know, it makes the makes the race a little bit more simple, uh, having only two candidates, which is good because it doesn't seem like Israelis are following this one too closely for good reason, given everything that's been going on over there the past few weeks. One additional wild card that is worth pointing out is that there was some speculation initially that Bibi himself might try to run for president. Uh, Shani, as you mentioned earlier, the president is immune from criminal prosecution. Um, Which is a very good reason for somebody to want to run. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, uh, you know, he ended up he ended up not going for this option. Uh, and uh, and not only that, there isn't really a candidate representing 
Netanyahu or his camp. Miriam Peretz, um, we don't know who she votes for, but she she might more resemble a Likud voter, but there's been no indication that she would really be in favor of pardoning Netanyahu. So it's interesting to see that there are no candidates actually running uh, who would be likely to do this. Yeah. Shani, I think one of the reasons why this is, uh, is that the vote is carried out by secret ballot. So the leaders of the parties really have no means of compelling their members to vote for a specific candidate. So even if Bibi were to endorse a particular candidate who he felt would potentially uh, grant him immunity from criminal prosecution, he has no means of actually compelling those in his camp to to follow suit. And I think he realizes this and also wants to prevent any sort of accusation of any quid pro quo going forward. So when is this going to actually take place? Because initially it was supposed to be June 2nd. Still looks like it may be, but there are some complications arising. Yeah, this primarily surrounds two figures, one of whom is Yariv Levine, who is a member of the Knesset for Likud and is the, the speaker of the Knesset. And the other key figure here is Karin El-Harar, a uh, member of Knesset for the centrist Yesh Atid party, who is the chair of the Knesset Arrangements Committee. And uh, Yariv Levine, as speaker of the Knesset, set the date for the president for the presidential election on June 2nd. But he needed the uh, the permission of Karin El-Harar in order to uh, set the date. And the Arrangements Committee, particularly in a time... Uh, when there is no functioning government, when there is no governing coalition in Israel, the Arrangements Committee uh, is responsible for managing the logistics in the Knesset and uh, and scheduling and uh, establishing the leadership of other committees. It's important to note that June 2nd is also the date when uh, Yair Lapid's mandate to form the next government expires. Levine was insisting that this date be reserved just for the presidential election and that no new legislation be brought forward on this date. Uh, which is something that El Harar, as a member of Knesset for Yair Lapid's party, uh, refused. She was insisting that this date, that this date, still be open for the Knesset to vote on legislation. Uh, so we're at somewhat of an impasse right now. You know, the worst case scenario here is that the presidential election is postponed if El Harar doesn't give the give the go ahead. And uh, uh, and if and if that were to happen, then uh, ultimately Levine himself, as the Speaker of the Knesset. Would become uh, would become acting president when uh, Ruvi Rivlin's term expires on on July 9th. Uh, with, and what does that mean for Netanyahu? Well, it would be quite to his benefit, given that Levine is very much a uh, a Likudnik and a Bibinik, and as acting president, could have the power to to pardon Bibi. So ultimately, uh, we believe it will be in El Harar's interest to allow the presidential elections to go forward, because if that doesn't happen, it could be uh, ultimately worse for the anti-Netanyahu bloc. I'm, I think um, our listeners know that I'm very in favor of uh, placing, placing some bets on uh, who we think is going to win. Uh, despite my affinity for Bougie Herzog, I think that Miriam Peretz is a much more likable figure and we should probably note that she has been endorsed by Idan Reichel, who's also one of my favorite Israeli singers. Um, so I'm partial to her for that reason. Um, but she's also been endorsed by Channel 12 journalist Amit Siegel. And she's just she's just very well-liked. And while the Knesset is not a necessarily representative sample of the Israeli public, I, I still think that she has a very good shot compared to Herzog. What do you think, Alex? I would agree, but it is also important to note that Herzog is very well networked in the political establishment. He has relationships with uh, with MKs from across the political spectrum. So I wouldn't write off his chances so quickly. 
And uh, that being said, Peretz is uh, is definitely more to the right of Herzog, and this is a is a particularly right wing Knesset, as a lot of political observers have noted in the wake of these in the wake of these elections. Thing is, is that this is a secret ballot, so it's difficult for us to to ultimately after after the fact track uh, each MK votes for. Although some have already come out in favor of of endorsing one or the other. I mean, for the Yamina party, for example, out of the seven MKs in Naftali Bennett's Yamina party, several have already come out in support of Peretz, some in support of uh, of Herzog. Naftali Bennett and Ayala Chaked, the two leaders of the party, themselves have not endorsed either candidate. Um, so it's really interesting to see party leaders really giving their their members free reign over, uh, over uh, whom they choose to vote for. I guess we'll have to see next week what comes of all of this, yeah. if there actually is a presidential election or not. I mean, we'll have to we'll have to stay tuned. Israeli politics is always full of surprises, and um, if we don't have a presidential election next week, uh, I'm sure we'll have another type of election sometime in 2021. Um, <laughs> don't jinx it. <laughs> uh, another exciting event happening on June 2nd is a an Israel Policy Forum program um, called "Restoring U.S. Leadership in the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict." It will be at 7:30 p.m. Eastern Time, 4:30 p.m. Pacific. Um, it's going to be a really great opportunity to hear from some of our top experts and policy analysts. Um, some of our speakers, and there will be many announced shortly as well, include Ambassador Martin Indyk, Nikolai Mladenov, uh, Dr. Michael Koplow, Dr. Shira Efron, and Anne Guerin. You can register at ipf.li slash 2 June. I'll say that again. ipf.li slash 2 June, J-U-N-E. So it looks like June 2nd will shape up to be a pretty faithful, fateful day in Israeli politics with the, the presidential election, the expiration of Yair Lapid's mandate to form a government, and our special Israel Policy Forum public program. We look forward to seeing you there. Bye, Alex. Bye.